0: The legacy media is so eager to smear the trucker convoy, they seem to have abandoned all basic tenets of journalism, like being fair and neutral, covering both sides of the story, and making sure to fact check and verify reports before sharing them. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. So as, as we've been covering on the podcast, as you know very, very well, since the inception of the Trucker Convoy and the Freedom Convoy, the Freedom Protests and Rallies in Ottawa, the, the sort of establishment, the Ottawa establishment, politicians, journalists, police officers, that the, the people in charge of Ottawa have done their best to try to demonize and discredit the truckers before they even got there. So in the week leading up to the protest, Trudeau predicted that there would be violence at these rallies. The legacy media quoted experts who told us that these truckers were extremists, that they were racist, and even that they were terrorists. Well, what, what got instead was a large, incredibly peaceful, patriotic showing. It was optimistic. It was joyful. It looked more like a winter carnival, and perhaps it looked like a Canada Day family block party instead. Well, regardless of the images that we saw pouring out from the ground in Ottawa, the thousands of Canadian flags being waved on Parliament Hill, the Trudeau Liberals working in lockstep with the legacy media decided to fixate on two or three flags, two or three individuals who were flying evil flags. These flags were not embraced By any means by the crowd on the ground, quite the opposite. There was footage that went viral of a man waving a Confederate flag, and he was sort of confronted and heckled and told to leave by the truckers. That went viral, but the legacy media ignored that. Instead, they pretended that the two or three evil flags represented the whole group, and that the whole group of protesters were the same as the two people that were waving those evil flags. They they equated the entire group as evil right-wing Nazis. That sounds extreme. It sounds hyperbolic, but I'm not exaggerating. that is what they did. They upped the rhetoric, they began to call the protests an occupation, a siege, an insurrection. One city councilor on the CBC even called it treason. Well, One of the things that that sort of leaves us thinking is why were the media so unwilling to cover these protests in good faith? Why didn't they try to get to know the truckers to tell their story? Usually when we see protests and blockades, the media are positively covering them, covering them favorably. Why was it so different this time? Well, to make sense of this remarkable gap between the positive nature of the protests versus the incredibly negative coverage of it, I am pleased today to be joined by journalist and author Jonathan Kay. Jonathan Kay is the editor over at Quillette. He's an op-ed writer for the National Post, and he is a co-host of the Quillette podcast. He's an author and a ghostwriter, and his work has appeared all over. He had a great uh, recent piece over in the Washington Post. You absolutely must follow Jonathan Kay on Twitter. His handle is at John Kay. He constantly and humorously pokes fun of the woke left, and since the start of the convoy, he's done an excellent job at thoroughly documenting and dispelling some of the multiple attempts to unfairly smear the truckers. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, uh, thanks for having my, uh, me on your show. Yeah.
0: So uh, the first thing, I mean, you follow this stuff closely. You've been in, I think, in and around the legacy media for most of your career. And I just want to know, why? why didn't the media cover the truckers in good faith? Why did it seem like a smear attack from day one?
1: I mean, I have sort of an odd position on this because, like, when the trucker convoy started, I think I was probably like 80 or 90% opposed to it. Um, you know, maybe unlike some of your other guests or your, your listeners, like I'm, I'm super into vaccines. I think mandates are fine. Like I, <laughs> I am, I'm a fairly progressive or to use that word in most of my views on the actual substance of it. And the only time I, became, I started to become sympathetic to the trucker convoy was when I just started to see the hysteria of those opposing it it's it's just this classic case of one side overplaying their hand in reaction to what they they want to show is the radicalism of the other side and by the way there were some whack jobs on on the convoy side and i entertained all the stereotypes because i live in toronto you know i it's like oh these trucks are going to come by and it's going to be awful and maybe there's going to be extremists and stuff like that um, but then, yeah, when I started to see the footage, I was like, okay, I, I don't necessarily agree with these people, but it's not like this is, you know, stormtroopers uh, marching into Poland in 1939 or anything like that. Which, if you had, if you read the social media feeds of some liberal MPs, they just completely uh, lost their mind about it. Um, and I mean, what surprised me was like it wasn't just white people either. There was, uh, there was, I think there was an indigenous drumming circle in support of the protest. Uh, on the Quebec side, you saw a lot of seat truckers because the, the trucking industry there is, uh, is very diverse. Uh, so if the political class and the journalistic class in Ottawa had simply maintained their composure and said, look, this is going to be an annoyance for a couple of days. There's going to be a lot of traffic. There's going to be a lot of gridlock. But, you know, we live in a democracy. Let these people say their piece. And maybe even if like had politicians gone to talk to them, and I, I think Trudeau, he's actually a fairly charismatic politician. If he'd actually gone out to talk to these truckers and say, I don't agree with you, but you know, tell me your piece, I'm, I'm willing to listen. Which is, by the way, how Trudeau dealt with separatists uh, when he first became a politician. He, he respectfully listened to them, even though they were trying to break up Canada. Uh, then I think things probably would have been dissipated early. And I think Trudeau and progressives in Ottawa, I think like they would have had, ended up better off. Now, if you look at some of the opinions, people who oppose the trucker convoy at first are starting to come around to it, just because they're so put off by the hysterical overreaction to it. And I guess I would put myself in that camp. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of the smug insufferable progressives, maybe that some of your, your listeners don't like. But there's only so much smugness and progressivism I can put up with before I say, look, you know, this is not, <laughs> it's not an insurrection. It's not treason. It's a bunch of people saying stuff you don't like. And I get that people in Ottawa don't like, I mean, I, I live in a neighborhood in Toronto that if a guy double parks his Q8 outside someone's house, like sometimes they call the police. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't like traffic. I, I wouldn't want people honking their horns outside my house. I get that. Uh, and you've had people in Ottawa who for, you know, two weeks have had to put up with it. I, I totally sympathize with their position. Um, but it's essentially a garden variety trade off at this point between civil liberties and the right to protest and the right of a city to say, okay, enough is enough, get your trucks out of our city. Like this kind of trade off, democracies work it out all the time. It's not helpful to cast it in the rhetoric of insurrection or, or war or terrorism. Uh, and by overplaying their hand, the critics of the convoy, I think, have given a gift to the people who are organizing it, even if you think they're radicals.
0: Well, and I think to independent media as well because I mean I've seen True North's audience really grow in the last few weeks because people feel that they really can't get the truth from the legacy media. People in the convoy this is what I find really interesting. Talking to, like you said, there's a lot of young, sort of new Canadians that are part of the convoy that, that for whatever reason, in their community, they feel they're opposed to vaccines. They really hate the mandates, and they feel really almost surprised and hurt. By the fact that they're being smeared because they're usually on the progressive side of these things. Like I, I follow a bunch of these guys on Instagram, and they they were sort of part of the whole um reconciliation defund the cr- police crowd last summer two summers ago and now they're on this side and they're being smeared by the prime minister i want to talk a little bit about justin trudeau because i've, I've just remember that you worked with him and you know him and it does seem like he has changed a i mean he used to host these town halls where he would take questions from anybody including seems- by the
1: way some of those town halls you look at the footage there's people with swastikas like they have a flag <laughs> and there's a and by the way just To be fair, the people who went to those town halls with Trudeau with swastikas in the flag, they weren't Nazis. They were people who were stupidly using Nazi symbology to smear their opponents as being Nazis, which is the same as the idiots that you saw at, like there's two or three of them, but of course the media shows footage of them endlessly. Uh, There were two or three idiots who showed up at the trucker convoy who had flags. But if you look at the flags, they are trying to use Nazi imagery to attack Trudeau. Personally, I think it's insane to compare Trudeau to a Nazi or as a fascist, whatever you think of him. But the media intentionally ignore the fact these are not testimonials of Nazi belief. These aren't people saying, I'm a trucker and I'm a Nazi. They're people saying our opponents are channeling Nazi ideas, which is stupid and hateful, but it doesn't mean they're Nazis. And also there were like two or three of these nutbags. Like, and so as you said, you know, their, their presence was exaggerated, but even to the extent that they were depicted, even the depictions of them was itself a kind of lie because it was falsely uh, implied that they were actually there to signal Nazi belief. And, and to be fair, the same is true of these nutbags who showed up at Trudeau events with swastikas on their flags. Although actually that said, there is one uh, image of Trudeau actually signing a neo-Nazi flag where the guy concealed it this is if you go on YouTube you can see it's 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 crazy the guy concealed the neo-Nazi flag Trudeau signed a corner of it and then after he was showing "Ha, ha look Trudeau signed a Nazi flag uh to my knowledge that's like one of the few cases where you actually had some uh wackadoodle who who really did seem to believe in Nazi ideology and and got close to a mainstream politician.
0: Well, well, he must be one of maybe 10 in the entire country because it's not like that That ideology is, is present and, and aware, despite what I think the media want you to think. It's, it's, it's funny because I saw that you shared that on Twitter, Jonathan. And it's like if a guy with a Nazi flag shows up at a Trudeau event, the headline is, um, you know, this highlights security concerns of how close they can get to uh, Canadian politicians. Uh, when a Nazi guy shows up at a you know quasi-conservative rally, it means that everybody at that rally is is a Nazi, which is is quite the difference. But I, I, I wanted to ask you because yesterday we saw Joelle uh, Lightbound, who is a Liberal MP, really uh, articulate guy, come out and basically just criticized Trudeau for the the change in tone and and seems like strategy, that that they used to have this very positive, uniting message where they never treat Canadians, you know, that that, that Canadians are always... have access to the charter and this sort of really positive vision of Canada. And in the last like six months or so, we've seen a really negative barrage of, of sort of hateful rhetoric towards the people who they disagree with when it comes to vaccines and and the and, uh, um, mandates and the uh, entire lockdown, COVID lockdown it's It seems to me like Trudeau is in some trouble. I mean, he he hid from the protesters. He went into hiding. He came out with a really, really over the top loaded speech um, accusing the the protesters of all these insane things that we're talking about. Um, and then he has a member of his own caucus come out and just say, you know we we, we should be doing better than this as liberals. You, you you mentioned that you think that he's he's changed quite a bit since he first came into public office. Do, do, do you think he's in trouble? Or do you think that he'll just sort of, um, this will just wash off him like, a, like, like usual?
1: Look, Trudeau has been dismissed so many times. I, I don't know if people watching this, do you remember in times of yore, there was something called elbow gate where Trudeau, like, you know, it was, it was some kind of minor fracas in the commons and Trudeau stormed around and just by sheer accident, like his elbow hit the chest of some female NDP MP, and uh, you know, at the time Thomas Mulcair, I think, was was the NDP leader at the time, and it was like the whole thing was dramatized. And you had columnists saying, you know, this is the end of the, you know, uh, Trudeau's uh, honeymoon period, and uh, you know, forevermore he will be defined by Elbowgate and all this. And then, like a week later, people forgot about Elbowgate. Like, you know, Trudeau has been written off many times falsely, and I, I don't, I certainly don't know that this is the end of. Uh, the liberal romance with him. What I can say is that um, it's been very educational for me, not just in regard to Trudeau, but in regard to how politics changes people. Cause when I met Trudeau and I helped him with his book, I was struck, he wasn't, he's a nice guy. I, and like, I think his desire to unite the country and I, I can just see people turning off this podcast as I say this, like, I just, I think he just lost a thousand subscribers, but I'll say it, he was a nice guy. I think he was a genuine patriot uh, the book uh, it was published in 2014 called Common Ground. I, I thought it was um, a lot of it was just a sort of love letter to Canada. And then what really changed in 2017 with Canada 150, where progressives decided that Canada's brand is no longer we're a wonderful beacon of hope and tolerance in contradistinction to the United States, which is evil, We're actually a genocide state that's you know built on a mountain of indigenous skulls and all our political work is going to go into smearing our own country and, um, and Trudeau went hard into that and it was around that time that it changed and to be fair if you look at the pattern of Canadian prime ministers by the time they're in their second or third term they have become so co-opted by the people around them to make everything they do a tribalized attack on their opponents because the people around them don't care about whatever it was that got them into politics 10 years ago. They care about winning the next election. So this trucker convoy sweeps into Ottawa and you got a bunch of 28 year olds around him saying, oh, this is awesome. Let's smear the conservatives as Nazis. Um, and, and, you know, by the way, Harper became a kind of like very divisive tribalized guy in his, you know, as his tenure as prime minister wore on it. This happens, this happened to Kretchen. Uh, Martin, Paul Martin wasn't around long enough for it to happen to him, but I guess he came into office like that. Uh, and it is a cautionary tale for politics, because I will say this, the Trudeau, who I met God, I seven, eight years ago, was uniquely positioned to march into a group of truckers and say, hey, I don't agree with you, but like, let's talk. He would have done a photo op in a truck. He would have listened to them. Um, the guy's was very charming. And maybe maybe he still maintains that capacity for charm, but he would not have stayed in some undisclosed location sneering about all these supposed hate mongers who'd come to his city. He would have gotten off his ass and actually met these people, even though he disagrees with them. That was the Trudeau of 2014, 15, 16, maybe even 2017, 2018. And to watch him become this kind of sullen hermit trying to score points with hyperbolic attacks on conservatives. It isn't just about Trudeau, it's about how politics changes people, conservatives or liberals alike. And if anybody is thinking about getting into politics, uh, it's a it's a depressing spectacle, because I think politics changes people. And, and this is like a case study and how that happens.
0: Interesting. Well, I, I don't share your views. I always thought that Trudeau was very arrogant, uh, very Quebec centrist, that he didn't have a lot of respect for Western Canada. And that he wasn't necessarily a very thoughtful person. He hadn't really thought through the uh, core issues of of the country. But I, I, I think that you're right, that he would have probably gone and spoken to the truckers, perhaps the French ones, perhaps the Quebec ones. I can't really imagine him even five, ten years ago going out to Western Canada and speaking speaking to people in Alberta.
1: He and I grew up like within one or two kilometers of each other. I myself, am very, even though I'm an Anglophone, you know, unlike Trudeau, I don't speak fluent French. I have the same parochial fascination and love of Quebec as he does. So like Trudeau was very much of my tribe. um, And we're all creatures of our background. You know, if if I grew up in Western Canada, I I would have maybe similar views about Quebec. Like, I I don't know. Um, But I do know he was a person of good faith. I know that, Um, you know, unless I'm an, an incredible incredibly misjudging his character. And it's true, you know, he wasn't, was never, I think he's very smart, he was never an intellectual. Uh, It is absolutely true that some of his, you know, the things he said uh, were kind of trite and, you know, he wasn't a deep thinker about uh, Canada, especially maybe Western Canada. Um, But he was a person of good faith and I think a politician of good faith. And I don't think anybody, who's watching what he and the Liberal Party have done over the last two weeks, can can say that anything they've done has been of good faith. It's been about fear mongering, and trying to smear a, a flawed and diverse protest movement as just a bunch of fascist hate mongers, and it's been disgusting to watch.
0: Uh, well, I completely agree with that part. I, the thing that strikes me about Trudeau is I always thought, uh, this is something I thought about him from the first time I interacted with him politically in 2011, that he that he hated conservatives more than he loved Canada. Now, maybe you think that he, you know, his That's book A Love Letter to Canada. That's true now. And- it
1: wasn't true of Trudeau when I met him. It's 100% not true of Trudeau when I, when I met him.
0: 100%. And, and I know
1: some, sometimes history is written backwards and you you impute the flaws of a person that they have now to... to to the point of, of political conception. I know your listeners aren't gonna agree with me. Trudeau was a decent guy who gave conservatives a fair shake. I mean, yes, it was often, you know, he had to spout the language of liberal propaganda. He was part of the party, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't, you know, look, he, he, he broke bread with separatists. Um, separate, separatists who literally were trying to break up the country in the fashion that the so-called insurrectionists of the trucker convoy are falsely accused of. Like, he he, um, he gets points for that for me, you know, Papineau, his riding, a lot of separatists in that riding. He'd go door to door and talk to these people. Imagine him doing, um, imagine him going truck to truck and talking to people, which by the way, if he did it, he'd score so many points. Like, it, it would be such a wonderful spectacle. I'd love for him to, he can still do that. He can still do that, but of course he won't.
0: I, no, I agree. I think that ha- if we had a prime minister who was willing to engage with the truckers and willing to take their concerns seriously, I think that this this whole standstill wouldn't be as it is because people would feel at least that their voices were heard. And part of the frustration that I see from so many of the protesters is just the sort of way that they've been written off and the way they've uh, dismissed it. I wanted to ask you one other question, though, John. While I have you um, on the podcast, I know that you are a someone who thinks a lot about free speech um, and the, the the sort of history of, of free speech speech, you know, uh, alongside this smear that we've seen on the truckers and the, the demonization of them. Uh, on the other side of the border down in the U.S., we've seen sort of a similar smear campaign um, unleashed against Joe Rogan, an incredibly popular uh, podcaster. And I, I wanted to I wanted to have your take on this because I know you you've commented on it quite a bit, but it, it just seems like we're in such a wild place in our society where someone who is so incredibly popular, but also who seems like a genuinely good person who asks honest questions. He's intellectually curious. He has a huge audience because he. so many people relate to him. And yet the way that he's covered in the media, the way that the media and, and some of the people in the media trying to smear him, it's like it's unrecognizable from anyone who watches the, the, the podcast. So I, I, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. I want to I wanna, uh, switch gears and ask you about Joe, Joe Rogan.
1: So it's, it's a very analogous phenomenon whereby... Joe Rogan is not someone I agree with, especially on vaccine stuff. Uh, I, I'm very pro-vaccine. I'm, I'm not one of these people who on social media, you know, like my name is <clears throat> John K, triple vax, boosted, you know, I'm wearing five masks. Like, but I am in terms of public health, very conventionally minded. I support vaccines. I don't support forcing people to get vaccinated. But one of the reasons I came on the show is to tell people like on social media, if you follow me, you know, I'm not a Kool-Aid drinker. I'm not a slavish follow of orthodoxy. But I'm somebody who has looked at the science and vaccines save lives. They can save the lives of people listening to this if they're not vaccinated. The government should not force you to get vaccinated, but I'm telling you that it's a good choice. And I'll end my speech there because no one wants to be hectored about this.
0: Well, well but 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 in terms of vaccines, I mean Canadians have by and large, I think over 80% of Canadians are now vaccinated. And 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 if you go into the sort of the age groups that are most at risk like people over the age of 70 over the age of 80 it's like 99 percent. which i assume that the only people who are not getting vaccinated in that age group is because they're too old and frail and 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 that there is concern well well anyway le- le- less than one percent are not vaccinated so o- almost almost everyone who needs to be vaccinated is vaccinated at this point
1: your statistics are correct but i'm just saying i tweeted this the other day an er doctor at my health club we had a half-hour conversation about this he's had two patients two omicron patients who have died under his watch one was a 90-year-old who was from a family of anti-vaxxers. One was a 79-year-old who said he, quote, didn't have time to get vaccinated. So anyway, end of speech about vaccines. In terms of Joe Rogan, it's similar to The Convoy in the sense that I don't, I don't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. I only listen, I don't, the only podcasts I listen to are like Nerdball historical podcast. People always assume, oh, you must listen to Sam Harris. You must listen to Jordan Peterson. You must listen to Rogan. It's like, no, I don't listen to any of those things. Um, and the only reason... I'm on Rogan's side at all in terms of this insane campaign to get him th- thrown off Spotify is because of these, these people who insist that someone they disagree with shouldn't be on a platform that has a diversity of viewpoint. Bill Cosby has some kind of podcast like, or, or whatever on Spotify. Like they didn't come after him, but Joe Rogan comes and like, <laughs> it's insane. You had Olivia Chow, prominent Toronto leftist. Yesterday she tweeted, I am not making this up. She tweeted how disgusted she was that Spotify has uh, Joe Rogan on it. And she says, that's why I use Apple Music. It's like, Apple, really? Those, you know, <laughs> slave labor commanders in, in China? Uh, like people are using this issue as a sort of virtue signaling thing. If you just ignore Joe Rogan and say, you know what? I don't agree with him. I'm vaccinated. Like, you know, I don't encourage my friends to listen to him, but whatever then people like me would have no basis to defend Joe Rogan because on the substance of the views, I disagree with Rogan. The only thing that makes me want to defend him is people trying to get him canceled. And it's the same with the trucker convoy. In substance, I disagree with their views about the mandate, but then when you come after them and call them Nazis and try and take away their money and say, you know, like, let's bankrupt these people. Let's, let's publish pictures of their trucks and their, their, their corporate identif- identifying data so we can make sure they can't feed their children. I'm like, you just push someone over to the other side, because as soon as you do that, I don't care what their views on mandates are, I'm on their side if your goal is to ruin their lives because they have views you disagree with. And and that's what the left is just completely overplaying their hand, not just on vaccines, not just on Rogan, on gender, on race. I mean, this is is why I I think next couple of election cycles, you're gonna see a lot of populists get elected And then you're going to have pundits in Canada say, oh, this just proves how racist Canada is. No, it doesn't prove how racist Canada is. It proves that you overplayed your hand when you had the chance, and now you're paying the price for it.
0: Just, I I know I'm keeping you for uh, longer than I said I would, but I I just had another question. You're someone who, like you said, you're of the same ilk as Justin Trudeau. You come from the progressive side of things. You surround yourself, seems like, with with progressive-minded people what's happening on your side, on that side of the aisle? Why why, why are they overplaying their hand? Why are they so zealous? Why are they so angry and hateful and insistent upon, not, not just refuting the ideas of those they disagree with, but, but erasing them and canceling them and pushing them off the public square? Like, where is this coming from? Why is it happening?
1: So I think there's a lot of people who will go kind of deep into theories about critical race theory and postmodernism and uh, cultural Marxism, whatever that means, um, from my vantage point, it's, it's it's a simpler phenomenon. A lot of it is laziness. You have a lot of progressives, many of them well-intentioned people, many of them my friends, uh, coworkers, former coworkers, who spend a lot of their life in ideological silos, and their Facebook groups, uh, their book clubs. It's people who agree with them. They have the same hashtags. They have the same views. They have lost the ability to defend those views because their intellectual ecosystems don't permit any dissent to be raised. So when they see any sign of dissent that's geographically proximate, like somebody driving a truck through their city with a Canadian flag on it that says no to mandates, they no longer have the intellectual tools or reflexes to actually have any kind of debate or discussion about the substance of the issue. The only thing they know how to do is say, aha, that's one of the Nazi insurrectionists I have been warned about on my Reddit group or whatnot. And so it's just this sort of like, um, it's like an immune system that gets activated with antibodies. And the only language they have is is the language of, they're anti-Semitic, they must be Nazis, they're insurrectionists, or they look for what they imagine to be analogous historical episodes, such as the January 6th, uh, riot at the Capitol in the United States. Even though we're in Canada, it's a completely different movement, completely different country. The whole January 6th thing, that's what they know about. It's, uh, I think it's called the avail- availability bias. Uh, when they look at psychology, that's what's in their mind. So that's what they, they label it as. And I, I, I'm much less convinced about like esoteric theoretical analyses uh, based on how people have been convinced. A lot of it to me is just laziness, people who don't have the capacity or will to defend their views, except by recourse to lazy, hysterical slogans about Nazis. And then, of course, when they see uh, some solitary idiot with any kind of Nazi sign, they seize on it. I mean, it's, it's like some kind of intellectual orgasm they have, which is like, aha, this proves everything I've been ranting about for the last week, because some... Some fruit loop is, is holding a sign. There's a guy, he was in Toronto, he was holding this like handmade sign for his website. He had some website called Goyam TV. I'm'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this photo. He's holding a thing about how all he calls them uh, pharma-judicals, all these J- Jews like me have, um, are behind the vaccine thing. And he's clearly an anti-Semite. and he was using the protest to, to promote his crazy website called Goyam TV. The only reason anyone's ever heard about this Goyam TV website is because the progressive media has focused on this guy relentlessly as somehow being a spokesman for the movement. And he's not, it's been documented. They actually took this guy's sign away, ripped it up and sort of like threw this guy out of the protest because they were so disgusted by his anti-Semitism. I actually, I'm into free speech and I'm Jewish. I don't think you should take his sign and rip it up. I think everybody deserves free speech even anti-Semitic hate mongers and outliers like him. But the fact that they actually took away his sign and and, and tore it up means that this guy's an outlier. But nevertheless, you go on progressive social media, this guy's become a celebrity. So the people making these anti-Semites a celebrity are not people in the trucker convoy. They're the progressives who profess to be fighting anti-Semitism. And so whether they they make a celebrity out of this guy, I visited this guy's website just to see what kind of like crazy crap he's gone on it. But and in a million years, I never even would have known about this this crazy website were it not for progressives making the insane claim that this nut somehow represents the convoy. So we well, live in I really think, weird times.
0: I, I think that's why the protester, the organizers would have to, like, I agree that they shouldn't rip up his sign, but they should say, you have to leave because if you stay here, th- they're going to pretend that you're a part of the move that you're supposed or, or, or 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 to. Or somehow stigmatize argument.
1: them or somehow just like have people standing around saying, we have nothing to do with this guy, like not give the media any pretext to like close crop a photo of him somehow, uh, you know, being associated with the protest. Yeah, there has to be a mechanism to stigmatize him, but you know, people were saying, oh, should we let communists parade the hammer and sickle rallies? Yes, we should. Or Palestinians who go around, we just saw this in Toronto a week ago, Palestinians going around demanding the eradication of the state of Israel. So somehow the media didn't, didn't make a big deal about that one, even though like the whole protest was based around an anti-Semitic premise. Um, I, I support, see lots
0: of swastikas at those rallies. No, rallies no, but those are,
1: those are social justice swastikas, so they're permitted. Uh, <laughs> but like I, I, I there, there are plenty of groups, conservative groups who wanna ban those people from marching, which is hypocritical. They should have the right to march. Um, people should have the right to express crazy views. It's, it's part, of, part of living in a, in a, in a pluralistic society. Um, what we should be able to count on in normal times is a media and a political class who don't ascribe the craziest, most stigmatized viewpoints expressed at a protest to the protest movement as a whole. And this is by the way, something the leftists had to confront with. We had an author at Quillette, more and more of my authors at Quillette are socialists, who are disgusted by the way the left has been hijacked by uh, snobbish ident- identity-based movements? Who was saying this guy used to march in the peace parade? I think it was called in Vancouver, and he said whenever they had a peace parade in Vancouver, this is in the 80s for you know nuclear disarmament, there is some whack job would come in with like I love North Korea or um, you know I love communism or Stalin was right. You'd have Trotskyists and Maoists and just like every every fruitcake in the neighborhood would come out with this homemade sign about how amazing communism is. And right-wing media would seize on that and say, aha, these are a bunch of Trotskyists who are just trying to like turn Canada into, uh, into a communist dictatorship, which was of course it was, it was conservatives playing the same trick that progressives are now playing. Both sides do this.
0: Well, I don't, I don't, I like, I, I hear that a lot that people say, oh, well, conservatives used to be the one that were for censorship and they were the ones that were trying to smear everyone. Well, it's like, I know, but I did. It's it's like it's like I didn't, right? So it's like it's like you're you're saying, okay, well, what you guys are doing, what, what the left is doing now, is is comparable to what the right was doing in the eighties. It's like, well, if, if I think if I was live in or if I was active in the eighties and I was a political commentator, I would say that that was wrong too, because I think. Forget the eighties. This is doing... the nineties.
1: So in the nineties, uh, I went to law school in the United States during the nineties, and uh, a big movement among conservatives, this is in the United States was to pass an amendment, and you actually, Trump even talked about this uh, at one point, an amendment to prevent the burning of the American flag on the pretext that, well, it's not, that's not really a form of speech. It's kind of a desecration of a national symbol. This was a big deal. They were trying to cancel flag burners. Now, I think burning a flag is, is stupid, um, but you should be able to burn a flag. You could, I, I, but you had conservatives who, we're trying to insist that that wasn't real speech, it was violence, which directly mimics what progressives say now when they say, well, you know, when you express support for JK Rowling, that's not speech, that's a form of trauma. Like, they learned that from conservatives. Uh, so, you know, I, I, kinda, I disagree. I, I don't you.
0: know. I, I don't know that they learned that. I think it's probably just that it, like you said, a lazy instinct that something. happening. Like, yeah, look that's at, look at last summer. Last summer, we saw countless Canadian statues get pulled down, right? We saw um, not, not just people who were involved with residential schools, but you know, Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth. Um, I think there's a statue of Cap- Captain James Cook in Vancouver that got thrown into the ocean for some reason. Um, you know, we saw desecration of national symbols by the left and we were told that it wasn't violence, it was understandable and justifiable and all part of the reconciliation process. I, I, I didn't hear a lot of conservatives saying that, um, you know, that that, 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 that that should be considered treason that that should be, um, I, I mean, people said, hey, we should uphold the rule of law and vandalism shouldn't be okay. Um, yeah. It's not part of speech. Well, but the most, to I, me, the
1: most disgusting example was in Montreal. They, they pulled down a John A. Macdonald statue. This was, I think, um, I forget if it was Black Lives Matter or an indigenous um, rights protest, but the two kind of merged. Um, and the video was online. And then as soon as it came down, it was just a complete criminal act uh, and then a protester went over and pretended to hump John A. Macdonald's head. Like the whole thing was just, I'm not like, I don't fetishize Canadian history as like some sort of sacred text, but I was watching it. I was like, whatever side these people are on, I'm on the other side of it. And, um, and federal politicians actually stared at their shoes. I'm talking about like Trudeau and liberals. Mm-hmm. To their credit, I think there were like Quebecois politicians who actually, they were, the, they were the voice of reason standing up for John A. Macdonald that, that Anglophone assimilationist <laughs> who normally they might, you know, be skeptical of because uh, if they've nationalist Quebecois sympathies. Uh, in fact, actually, this is, we were talking before about the liberal MP who's become the voice of reason and has pushed back against Trudeau. Uh, no surprise, he's from Quebec. And mm-hmm. as, as I said on Twitter earlier, many of the disaffected civil servants and liberal politicians who feed me scoops and, you know, will DM me with... Um, Sometimes they're just looking to Kvetch because they, they can't do it among their liberal friends. They do it to me because they know um, I have an appetite for that. Um, they're from Quebec. Quebecers have are, are, are much less cowed by this sort of Anglophone progressive left-wing social panic that has become dominant since 2017. And by the way, I should say a lot of them are immigrants because you've got people saying, look, I didn't come from Iran or uh, Eastern Europe to, to Canada, the land of freedom, so I could see a repeat of this kind of top-down, autocratic demand for ideological purity. Uh, I want no part of that. And, and I, my, in my view, the people who are gonna save the Canadian left from their social panic are gonna be Quebecers and immigrants. Because here in Toronto, in particular, uh, old stock, as Stephen Harper once called them, old stock, Anglo upper middle-class wasps have lost any ability to embrace common sense or to reject the sanctimonious pieties of American imported progressive ideological. They just, they're, they're, they, they don't have the capacity to do it. They feel they have no moral capital whatsoever to exercise independent thought. They slavishly follow whatever hashtag comes down the pipe 15 minutes ago. And we're going to have to look to, to Quebecers, uh, and immigrants, uh, you know, this is my Eastern Canadian bias, I don't live in Western Canada, so you know, maybe my perspective would be different, um, but, but they are, I hope, going to rescue the Canadian left with some assistance from old school socialists who realize that the real divide in our society is class-based, it is not skin color-based. Uh, and and I, more and more I have time for old school socialists who have a class-based analysis of our society you got people like me. I'm living large, right? Like, you know, um, but the reason I'm living large is because is, it's, it's of class. It's, you know, it's not because I have white privilege or I'm cis or, uh, you know, white privilege does pay, play part of it. Racism is a real thing, but God, I would love it if the left got back to traditional Marxism. I, it's, You know,
0: it's- I... I- I, 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 I agree that you know what, what I think. What we're seeing with the trucker convoy is like a class uprising. Like a pe- people who have had to live with the COVID, people who have had no choice other than to go out there and face it and live with it. They're used to it, and they're sort of pushing back against all the uh, middle class Canadians who are very comfortable with the new normal of working from home, living from home. Having minimal social interaction is a lot easier uh, for them. And then maybe they have more apprehension and they're more nervous about going back into a hundred percent. And and it is totally
1: class based in my neighborhood. My neighborhood is full of consultants, lawyers, journalists like me um, who are like, oh, yes, I don't care how long it takes, how many Zoom meetings I have to take. Um, You know, we're going to fight this thing and have quarantine for the next five years. It's like, yeah, of course you feel that way. You know, you can charge 400 bucks an hour to someone for a Zoom meeting. I think okay. you'd sing a different tune if, you know, you owned a restaurant or, you know, you were into event management or you had a bar or, you know, you were a trucker or something like that. Like if you had a job that required you not to like nod your head on Zoom meetings all day and get paid for it, like it's, it's a totally class-based divide. But, but in order for them to justify their class privilege, they have to pretend it's about race or because otherwise they can't import the, <clears throat> the, the culture war into a domain that they feel they have a moral advantage on because they know that if you look at a class-based analysis, they're the douchebags, but they have to pretend it's the people who are delivering food and trucks and stuff who somehow like lack their magical insight into social justice. And, and, and this is the thing that's turning people like me, I think away from progressive politics because in every other respect, look at my lifestyle i I should be a doctrinaire progressive but i just can't i can't drink their kool-aid it's just it's i can't do it anymore
0: well it's it's really refreshing uh to hear your perspective i know uh you you know often the people i have on the show are, are more on the conservative side so i really appreciate you uh coming on and sharing your views even though they're different it's
1: crazy that anyone calls me a conservative like only in a country that's gone as crazy as canada politically. could could anyone even consider, but I look at like my trolls on on Twitter, it's like, oh, you hardcore conservatives, you're all the same. Really? Hardcore conservatives? Why? Because like, you know, I read Harry Potter to my kids, and I don't think JK Rowling's like, you know, Hitler adjacent, that's what makes me a conservative now? You've lost your minds.
0: Right. No, they're certainly, certainly doing um, a, a lot of, they're certainly helping conservatives like me in, in, in pushing, pushing more Canadians um, over to the sort of common sense side. But I I really appreciate your time, Jonathan. It's been great uh, talking to you. I I appreciate all your insight, and I hope that you'll uh, come back and join us on the show in the future. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show.